Well, occasionally I'm asked what it's like to preach Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And, um, and I think the best analogy that I can use is this. It, it's, it's like having a baby on Sunday and getting pregnant on Monday. And uh, it, oh, No, seriously. And then having a baby on Sunday and getting pregnant on Monday. And then having a baby on Sunday and getting pregnant on Monday. It, it's kind of like one of these deals where as soon as you're done with the one, you're on to the next. And there's this little tiny window of opportunity. Usually it's restricted to Sunday morning, maybe a little bit of Sunday afternoon, which is consumed hopefully also with a short nap, during which you can kind of, you know, exhale for a little while and sort of enjoy the baby that you just had, but then you're on to the next baby. I mean, that's it. And you're hoping, frankly, I mean, if you're honest, that during that little window of opportunity, at least one person, and and if nobody, then usually your wife comes through in the end for you, will come up and tell you that the baby's cute. You know, you do like that. I mean, if you've ever had a baby and you brought him to the office or you bring him to church for the first time, don't you want everybody to kind of ooh and ah a little bit? And if they've washed their hands, they can touch the baby, but otherwise, get away. But you want that, right? So you have your baby, you get this little window of opportunity, hopefully you hear the baby's cute, but then you're pregnant and you're on to the next thing. So last Sunday, I had my baby, figuratively speaking. Enjoyed it. My wife said she thought she liked it. I thought that was cool. I took my nap. I came into work the next day pregnant for this week, okay? And the first thing that I got in the morning is a text message from Matt Lominick, our ministry operations pastor, who had apparently been reading ahead in this book of Colossians that we've been studying together, because the text message said, so, which do you think will be more fun for you this week? Wives, submit to your husbands or slaves to your masters? (laughs) And you know what I thought? I thought the baby's not going to be so cute this week. Not gonna be so cute, okay? And then I got into the text. I got into the text, and here's what I discovered the baby's cute. But not my message, not because I'm doing anything. I'm talking about the message of the text. The text itself is really, really attractive. It's really powerful, it's really cute. It has the ability to change the most significant relationships that you have in this life. But it's only cute if you can put your defenses down long enough to see the baby and really to receive the message. So that's what I'm going to ask of you today. We're going to wrap up this whole series on the book of Colossians that we've been doing for the last four and now five weeks. And uh, if you've been with us, you know that really until today, it hasn't been focused on things like husbands and wives and your workplace and children and, you know, all of these sort of nitty-gritty sort of items in our lives. It's going to be today, but it hasn't been, generally speaking. Generally speaking, it's been know the Word, live the Word, know the Word, live the Word, know the Word, live the Word. Paul is coming to us with the Word of God, and he's commending to us this book. And I don't just mean the little letter of Colossians. I mean the whole book, the Holy Bible. And the person in particular that Paul is commending to us is the Jesus of the Bible. He's coming to these people who are being taught a false doctrine, a false gospel, false wisdoms, false truths, and he's saying, guys, here's the corrective for that, for them and for me and for you. It's knowing who Jesus really is. It's knowing what Jesus has really done. It's knowing who I am, who you are through faith in Christ. It's knowing the true gospel. And today, he's going to come to us and say, and now, here's what the true gospel, know the word, live the word, looks like in your marriage, and with your kids or parents, and at this place that you call work, in your prayer life, and in your relationship with people who don't 
yet know Jesus. It's like he drops almost four chapters of know the word, live the word on us, and then he walks right through the front door of each one of our homes, and he walks down the hallway, and he starts gathering up all the people and creatures. He's calling a family meeting. Everybody's invited but the cat because he doesn't like cats. He's a holy man. Dogs are free to come. Parakeets can attend. Cats and snakes, everybody's in attendance. And he says, look, everybody's going to need to sit down for this one. The baby's cute, but only if you can have the faith to see the baby. He gets out the smelling salts just in case. He puts them on the coffee table, moves it a little bit just in case you faint so you won't hit your head on it, okay? And he begins now to say, okay, know the word, live the word, know the word, live the word, know the word, live the word. Here's what that looks like. First of all, in your marriage. And he looks at the wives first. And he says, wives, and then here's the threatening word. Here's the one that we've really got to kind of come to understand today. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. And then he adds this little phrase, which is not a throwaway. It is critical. It's huge. He says, as is fitting in the Lord. What Lord is that? Because it changes everything about what you have to think about this. It's the Lord Jesus whom he's been telling you about all the way through this book. It is the Lord in whom you lived the perfect life, in whom you died to all of your sin, in whom you were buried, in whom you have been raised to a brand new life in whom one day you will appear in glory. It is the Lord who loves you so much that He entered into this planet, though you have rejected and rebelled against Him. Out of love to rescue you, it's that Lord who suffered and died for your good. That Lord who reigns from heaven's throne, organizing and orchestrating absolutely everything in your life together for your ultimate and eternal good. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whose purposes for you and for me are unquestionably sound and good and right. They're full of life. Paul is coming to us with the wisdom of heaven. It is clearly not the wisdom of earth. I think we'd all agree with that. It's not. It's the wisdom of heaven in a relationship that God Himself created. He understands it. He created it. He knows all the rules for it. He gets how it works. He established and set it all up. And He's coming to us for our good, and He's saying, look, if you can just put the defenses down long enough to see the baby and hear a word from the Lord, well then, wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Okay, now let's stop and look at the baby for a minute. What is he saying? Why don't we start with what he's not saying? Because that's usually the problem. The problem is that we hear, wives, submit to your husbands, you know, and it's like, holy cow, you got this whole long list of things that you assume that he's saying that he's not saying at all. So let's run through some of them, and you can just kind of scratch them off, and then they won't be a problem anymore, I hope. He is not saying that the woman is of lesser value. It's not at all what he's saying. He's not saying the wife is somehow less important. He's not saying that there is any lower dignity to being a wife or a woman than there is to being a man or a husband. That's not what he's saying. He is not saying that the woman is less intelligent, less capable, less talented, less gifted, or less in wisdom. In fact, if you look at all of humanity and at the way that God has distributed all of those kinds of gifts, you realize that he doesn't discriminate in any way, shape, or form, not by gender, not by race, 
not by socioeconomic status, not even by education. Some of the most highly educated people are some of the most foolish people you'll ever meet, and the other way around. So he's not saying any of those things. He's not saying that the wife has a lower standing before God. We're going to see that that is, in fact, not the case later on in this message. He's not saying that the wife is in any sense inferior, that the role of the wife is less important than the role of the husband. He's not saying that. And he's not saying, by the way, that if your husband is leading you into sin, that you need to follow him. He's not saying that either. That if he desires for you to do something that God has said not to do, or for you not to do something that God has said absolutely that you are to do, then that you need to then owe him your obedience. That's not what he's saying. Your obedience is to the Lord, the one who speaks to you through his word. What Paul is saying, at the very least, is that God has established an authority structure within the home that enables the home to, first of all, function effectively, and secondly, function peacefully. Effectively and peacefully. There has to be someone that God holds ultimately responsible in the home, and God has chosen the man. And that is not a light duty. It's a big deal. Bob and Rosemary Barnes have written some books together, but one of them is called Rock Solid Marriage. And I want to read to you what they say about this idea, because I think it's really helpful. They write together saying this, when the Bible talks to wives about submission, it is not telling wives to be doormats. Please digest that. Put the wall down and hear that for a moment. Consider what it is saying, okay? It's not telling the wives to be doormats. Quite the contrary, it is encouraging a wife to give her husband all the advice and input that she has. It is telling a couple to blend. Do you hear that word? And to learn to respect each other's opinions. Now, I want to expand on that for a second. You know, one of the things that has been universally recognized in humanity is that opposites attract. It's not in the Bible, but you can see it, can't you? And I can see it in my life, and I see it in all kinds of marriages, and I see it in all kinds of couples that I do premarital counseling for. Opposites attract. That is to say there is this sense in which we are looking to complete ourselves. And somehow we're attracted to people who are strong where we're weak, and weak where we're strong. I don't think that's by mistake. I think that God sovereignly puts people together who complement one another and who then need to blend and respect one another. See, there is a wisdom, I think, to understanding how God has put you together. God has put me together with a woman who is very strong where I am embarrassingly weak. Don't ever ask me a question about our finances. I have no idea. She's a CPA. She knows it all. She could be robbing me blind. (laughs) But as long as we eat on time, I don't care. (laughs) Do you know what wisdom is? It's not to be a bull in a china shop. It is to say, God has given me a woman with great wisdom in this area. You know what I need to do? You know what leadership is? It's to listen to her. It's to value her opinions. It is to work together with her. It is to build consensus together with her. I don't remember, and maybe Beth will correct me sometime later this afternoon, hopefully after she tells me the baby was cute. But I really, I honestly, I don't remember a major decision that we've ever had to make together that at final, in the end, we weren't in agreement on. 
Oh, I remember some where we had to get to, you know, some agreements and the decision didn't look like the decision I came up with initially, but I modified it and we changed it and it became our decision, our decision, our decision. However, I will tell you this, I know for a fact that if ever the day comes where we're making a major decision, not what shoes you're going to wear, not where are we going to go eat, not are we going to go to this event, or not, not silly, superfluous things, but a major decision, if we ever have to make one and we're not in agreement, I know for a fact that when I come to her and say, listen, I love you, I have wrestled and struggled with this. I've prayed over this. We've prayed over this. I've looked at this from every angle that I know how to make, how to look at it from. We have to make a decision. The house needs to function effectively. A decision needs to be made. And we're going to go in this direction, and I need you to support me in this. I know for a fact that she will support me in this. Why? Because she agrees with me now. Because she agrees with this word from the Lord. That's it. It's because she's heard a greater voice than mine. Bob and Rosemary said, when the Bible talks to wives about submission, it's not telling wives to be doormats. Quite the contrary, it's encouraging a wife to give a husband all of the advice and input that she has. It's telling a couple to blend and learn to respect each other's opinions. There's a mutuality of submission implied in that, you see. He says, however, but when it comes to a decision where a husband and wife cannot come to common ground and the decision still has to be made, one person has to be held accountable for the final decision. A couple can't work together as a team without some final consensus. The buck has to stop somewhere. And when God indicates that a woman is to submit, He's saying, give all the input that you have, and then if your husband still disagrees, let go of the argument. And don't do it angrily. Don't do it bitterly. Don't do it begrudgingly. Don't do it secretly, hoping that the whole thing's going to flop so that you can go, see, I told you. But get on board, and God will hold the husband responsible for the final decision. And so when Paul says, look, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, what he's doing is he is establishing an authority structure in the home that is necessary for it to function effectively and and for it to function peacefully. And if peace is lacking, you've got to look at this and go, okay, is this maybe one of the reasons? So Paul drops four chapters just about of know the word, live the word, and then he comes into our homes, gathers up everyone but the cat, puts the smelling salts on the table, says, okay, now we're going to talk about know the word, live the word, and what it looks like in the nitty-gritty of the most important relationships that you have with other people in this world. We're starting with marriage, and by the way, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord who does not come taking things away from you that are good. He comes bringing to you a wisdom from heaven that works, that brings life that brings peace. And then he looks at the husbands who bear the greater burden, guys, the bigger responsibility. He looks at the husbands and he says, love your wives, to which he then adds, and do not be harsh to them. He recognizes our tendencies there, doesn't he? He's accommodating our weakness with that. He's saying, look, do not use this God-given authority and responsibility to become a tyrant. Don't do that. Respect, blend, mutual submission, consensus build, work together, value each other's strengths and weaknesses. 
Use this as an instrument of light and of life and of health and of peace. And where there is no peace, if there's no peace in your family, well, then, guys, we need to look at this. Am I doing this? Because God does not come and give us this authority for our benefit. We're to rule for the benefit of our wife, to her advantaging. I think Paul makes that clear. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 5. Verse 25, he says the same thing, at least in starters. He says, husbands, love your wives. Okay, that sounds familiar. Heard that, but now listen to how he nuances it. He says, as Christ loved the church and what? And gave himself up for her. What kind of leadership then are we to bring to the marriage? We're going to bring a kind of leadership that is characterized by a sacrificial love that runs so deep that if it really and truly came right down to it, we would actually give our lives away for the advantaging and for the benefit of this woman who is precious to the Lord and who's precious to us, whether we realize it or not. It is not a self-serving leadership that takes It is a selfless, sacrificial leadership that fundamentally gives. And that is not a threatening leader. That's not a leadership that you need to fear or to be worried about, you know. But we're guys, and so we hear that, and it sounds nice, and it looks good on a three-by-five card. We could tape that up on our bathroom mirror and read that every day. But what does that actually look like when it shows itself up in our lives? I mean, it's like, okay, Tom, I hear that love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm supposed to be sacrificial. I get it, got it. But really, day to day, what does that look like? I think Peter helps there. In 1 Peter 3, verse 7, listen to what he says. He says, likewise, husbands, and then he says, live with your wives. But how? Because it's the key. In an understanding way. And then he says another phrase that needs to be explained so that it can be valued. He says, showing honor, that's not the part we have problems with, to the woman, so far we're all on board. And then he says, as the weaker vessel. Now, what does that mean? It means simply as the one who is more delicate emotionally and physically than the man. And I want to say that is not a negative, that's a positive. That is not a weakness, that's a strength. You know, I mean, as Beth and I grow in oneness together, and that's the idea, that's the picture You come to the idea of marriage in the Bible and the two become one, don't we? It's a picture of the Trinity. We sang about the Trinity. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit. Three in one today. Three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one God. And there's a hierarchy of authority there, isn't there? But there's no resentment there. There's no anger there. There's no abusing of authority there. Nobody feels inferior to anyone there. Our marriages are to show forth a picture of the triune God. As we grow, Beth and I, together in oneness, and as I, in wisdom, hopefully, come to appreciate her more delicate side, I will tell you, it makes me so much better. She comes to me sometimes and she says, you know, so-and-so thinks you're mad at them. I'm like, really? Why? Well, because you're always so focused all the time and you just walk right by people and they just assume that maybe you're aggravated with them. I'm like, I'm not aggravated with anybody. I'm just so focused all the time. I don't stop to love or talk to anyone. See how that works? She notices that. She'll say to me, you know, I think this person over here needs to spend some time with you. Just time, not business, time, talk. You think that would be good? You know what I've come to do? 
I've come to say, yes, ma'am, I'm going to do exactly that. She is right on with that. She is more delicate in her sensibilities than I am, and I need her to be that. That is not something that is to be shunned. It's not something to be put down. It's not something to be ignored. If you're a lady here today, it is something to be embraced. It's part of what is uniquely awesome about you, and it's also something that we find incredibly attractive. But we're not to abuse it. We're not to run it over. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in, in an understanding way. We're going to get to that in a second. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. See, that makes her worthy of honor. Since they are heirs, he says, with you of the grace of life, they have equal standing before God. Oh, you don't buy that? Okay, well, just finish out the verse then. So that your prayers may not be hindered. That's a pretty powerful sanction, isn't it? He's saying, guys, here's the deal. If you want the Lord to hear your prayers, then get this right. Learn to live with your wives in an understanding way. Come to love her enough to regularly make the sacrifice that it takes for us guys to understand what it's actually like to be her and what it is actually like to feel like you're her. What does it feel like to be her? What is that like? What is it like to have to get everybody out of bed every morning? To get everybody fed, to get everybody dressed, to get everybody bathed, and somebody is always going to get syrup, and now we've got to change. To blow everybody's nose, to wipe everybody's rear. What is that like? To get everybody out the door, off to work and off to school and out the door, whatever. What's that like? What is it like to be the air traffic controller for like five people in a family? managing everyone's schedules, waking up every single day and having to figure out how you're going to have to get everyone where it is that they need to get. I have a daughter. She's 16. She can't drive till March. I can't wait for her to get a car. I'm buying her a cheap truck. I just We're going nuts trying to get everybody where they need to be every day. And so many of you parents are coming to me going, and someday you'll miss it. That's a lie. If you miss it so much, you can kick in and help us out. (laughs) But my wife has to do that every day. I got this one over here at 315, and I got to pick this one up over here at 3, and then we got to do this, and we have to be there, and then so-and-so have to get in, and I got to call this person, and then we got to arrange, and can you get a ride, and can you, and then I think we got it all, and somehow I'm going to make dinner somewhere in there because, you know, my husband needs it to be made on time, good grief, you know, and (laughs) pressure's on. What's it like? What's it like, and I made a list, to be a tutor, a counselor, a nurse, a nutritionist, a teacher, a disciplinarian, an accountant, a fashion consultant, a house cleaner, a waitress, a taxi cab driver, a cook, a lover, and a friend? What is that like all rolled into one? What, how does that feel? What's that all about? I think so many of us guys go off to work and live under the delusion that we have all the pressure on us and that we've got the tougher job, and I wouldn't trade No way. (laughs) Couldn't do it. What is it like to be the person that everybody wakes up in the middle of the night whenever there's any kind of an emergency in the middle of the night or just for the heck of it? What's that like? They come wandering in the door, you know, and maybe they've thrown up all over the place and all over themselves, heaven help us. I promise you I'm not getting up if it's happened. (laughs) I'm not made for that. Or maybe they just have to go to the bathroom and they're figuring, hey, while I'm up, I'll check in with mom. (laughs) Happens. What's that like? 
What is it like to live with the daily pressure of how everything is going, of how everyone is doing, of how everyone is feeling, of how everything and everyone is looking, and how every one of these precious little people in your house is developing and maturing? Because I promise you, they live with that pressure more so than we do as guys. And then for some of you ladies, to have a career in addition. Peter is saying, you know, you want to know how to love your wife, then start coming to understand what it's like to be her and to feel what she feels, and then give her the honor that she is due, because if your house is anything like mine, I will tell you flat out, she is the hero of the house. No question. No doubt. So, Paul gives us almost four chapters of know the word, live the word, and then he comes and he walks through the door of the house and he says, everybody sit down, and he gets out the smelling salts and he kicks the cat out of the room and and he says, everybody have a seat, because now this is what know the word, live the word looks like in your marriage. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And then here's the part that all the parents have been looking forward to and all the kids are dreading, but you need to put down, you need to put down your defenses and receive it as wisdom from heaven. Because it's wisdom from heaven. He says, children, obey your parents most of the time. And that will be cool. It's not what he says, is it? He says, children, obey your parents in, keyword everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. What Lord? The one in whom you lived and died were buried and have risen again to a newness of life. The one who has your back and desires your best. And then he speaks to the dads because I think we're most apt to do this. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children. Again, he's, he's condescending to speak to us. He knows us pretty well. He's saying, do not be over-exacting upon your children. Do not be overly perfectionistic on your children. Don't demand of things that are frankly unreasonable from your kids. Don't do that lest they become discouraged. And so, the, so then biblically speaking... Whether or not to obey mom and dad really kind of comes down to one question. Is what they're asking me to do sinful or not? Are they commanding me to do something God says not to do? Are they telling me not to do something God says to do? Because if it doesn't fit within that category, then we're back to children obey your parents in everything. In everything. For this pleases the Lord. You know, and I've said this in the past, what you'll find is that as you get older, if you're honest, you'll find it either way. It's just a question of whether you'll be able to admit it. As you get older, you'll realize the older you get, the smarter mom and dad get. It's like when you get to be 28, the lights go on and you realize that those people were brilliant that they actually knew what they were doing. Not all the time. Not all the time. And not perfectly. But just because it seems silly to you now, stupid to you now, unreasonable to you now, unfair, that's a biggie, now, children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. 
All right. So Paul drops almost four chapters that know the word, live the word on us. He calls the family meeting. He enters into the room and he says, okay, here's, here's what know the word, live the word looks like in your family. Here we go. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The smelling salts is on the table. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And you say, okay, and you get in your car and you drive to work and there he is again. He comes walking through the door of your office. You're like, I thought we had this conversation. We were done. I had a lot to digest already. He's like, no, we're not finished yet. See, because now we're going to talk about what this looks like in the workplace. He goes into the conference room, calls a little meeting, and he says, slaves, it's verse 22, obey in everything. There's that everything word again. Those who are your earthly masters. Now, I realize none of us are slaves and none of us are masters. I am so happy for that. I'm sure that you're all happy for that. But listen to what he's about to say and ask yourself if it doesn't apply where you work. He says, slaves, obey, here it is, in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, not insincerely. Don't just do it to impress the boss, and then when he's not around, you don't have to do it. That's insincere. It's selfish motivation, and it's just flat out wrong, as he's going to say in a minute. He says, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of hearts and as those who are seeking to please, not people but God, he says, fearing not man, but the Lord. Whatever you do, he says, work heartily as for the who, as for the Lord, and not for men, knowing that from who, who's going to compensate you? You're like, I know this, I get a paycheck at the end of the week. No, I mean, maybe you do, but knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. When do you receive an inheritance, by the way? It's usually after somebody dies. Okay, so in this case, it's after you die. I know that's morbid, but stay with me. This is an awesome statement. He's saying throughout the course of your life, make God your boss and work for Him. That adds dignity to even the lowest, crummiest job you could ever have. So whether you're getting the recognition you deserve or not, you're working for God. He's recognizing you. By the way, He's paying you in a currency that you will enjoy forever. You don't have to leave it all behind like the currency of this world. You leave 100% of that behind. No, you're storing up an eternal bank here. So whether you're compensated enough for what you're doing or not, you do your best as if unto the Lord. Whether you're getting the recognition you deserve or not, you're doing your best as unto the Lord. By the way, He sees everything. He's everywhere. Please Him. This job is below me. Do it with all you've got as unto the Lord, and you probably get a little extra compensation in heaven. And you might get a little extra compensation on earth too as people realize that you're not like everyone else, which is kind of where we're going. Paul says, you are serving the Lord, not your boss, not your board, not even yourself. You're serving Him. You're serving the Lord Christ, he says. And then he says, for the wrongdoer, the eye service guy, the people pleaser guy, the insincere guy, the I'm not going to give my best because, you know, uh, this is beneath me guy, that person, he says, will be paid back eternally is the idea for the wrong. Do you hear that word? It's wrong that he has done. And there is no partiality. Nobody's going to be cutting any deals. Nobody's going to be getting any favors with the Lord. Masters, he says, or employers in our context, treat your slaves or your employees justly 
and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven who doesn't miss a thing. And he's looking to compensate you. So Paul has spoken to our family life, and Paul has spoken to our professional life, and now he's going to conclude by talking about our prayer life and the life that we have around other people who don't yet know Jesus. He says this in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, "...continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving, know the Word, live the Word, and, and pray thankfully and expectantly, like he might actually answer." Because he does. And pray missionally, he says, at the same time, pray also for us, Paul says, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And then he says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. You know what the reality is when it comes to preaching? I don't really care if it's cute. It's not my goal. I mean, it's nice and it feels good. You know what I ask every single Sunday? Was it clear? Did you get it? Did it make sense? And then if it's cute on top of that, well, then, you know, that's, that's wonderful. But, but the goal is clear. He's saying that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Focus your prayers, not just on your mission. Focus it on the mission of God, on moving the kingdom forward. And then he says, walk or live in wisdom. He, the word wisdom implies a skillfulness for living. He's saying, live skillfully, live wisely toward outsiders. He's saying, you need to be careful of how it is that you live around people who don't yet know Jesus, but know that you do. That's why it's important what happens in your family. That's why it's important how you work in your office place. You're like, oh, I'm not getting enough money and I'm doing a crummy job. It's not about that. Look at the people watching you. It's important how you live. It's important, as he's going to say here in a second, how you speak. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, meaning that you have with them and that you have in this life. We only have so many ticks of the clock, guys, and nobody knows exactly how many ticks that we all are going to get. He's saying there is a purpose and an urgency to the ticks of the clock for every single one of us. And that urgency comes from God's mission, making the best use of the time. Let your speech, which is what flows out of your heart, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. The idea being that when know the Word, live the Word, shows up in your family, in your work life, in your prayer life, and so forth, then people are going to start asking. They're going to start asking, and you'll have opportunity to tell them that the answer is Jesus. And then if you know the rest of the letter, Paul basically signs off. He's saying goodbye to this person and goodbye to that person, and he kind of wraps it all up as he signs off to these people that he wrote to so very, 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 very long ago. And yet, and yet it's a letter that still speaks to us today. Why? Because as we've said all along, it's not just the words of the Apostle Paul. It's the words of a man who brings us the word of the Lord. It's the wisdom of heaven, should we choose to accept it. It's clearly not the wisdom of earth. It's a word that is received in faith. So put down the defenses that you've built up to it and see the baby because he's cute. He's cute. This can transform you or you can miss it. What's it going to be? Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word, which 
is everything that you claim for it to be. It is light. It is life. It is order. It is peace. It is joy and satisfaction. It is refuge. It is grace. And yet our hearts rebel against it. We assume things about you that are not true of your character, about your nature, about your intentions. And God, I pray that you would reverse all of that in us, that you would give us the faith to hear your word as it is intended and to receive your word as from the mouth of the one who loves each one of us more deeply than any other being anywhere. God, thank you that you have not left us devoid of wisdom, but you give us instruction, instruction in salvation, which comes through Jesus, and instruction in life as we look into your word. And I pray, God, that for your glory and for our benefit, our peace and joy, that you would make us to put our defenses down and to receive your message and to apply it in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.